You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Good morning. Thanks so much for listening. It's Thursday, August the 26th. Cooler, greyer, a bit more overcast here in TW11 today, but dry and forecast to stay that way for the next few days into the bank holiday weekend here. We know that nothing will ever quite be the same post-pandemic. That applies as much to our small world as it does to the wider one. It is particularly pertinent, it seems, however, to the life and lifestyles of jockeys that have changed quite significantly over the last 18 months by necessity brought about by pandemic restrictions. Some of those, however, will stay, and one or two controversially so. Lee Mottishead is the senior writer for the Racing Post. Lee, what was announced yesterday that will have raised a few eyebrows? So um, a decision has been made um, by the BHA that jockeys will only be allowed to ride at one meeting a day, as has been the case through the pandemic, Nick. Prior to that, there was a rule brought in that limited them to nine meetings in a week in a bit to stop jockeys dashing around the country too much from one meeting to another. That that was changed when COVID racing uh, came in because of medical scientific protocols. The PGA has surveyed its members and the majority view among those who answered the survey was that that ban should continue and that jockeys should be limited to seven meetings a week, i.e. one meeting a day specifically, and inevitably some will like that and a few won't like that. So is this essential in promoting better health, well-being, welfare of our jockeys or is this restraint of trade to self-employed people? I've been speaking to Executive Director of the PJA, a professional jockeys association, Dale Gibson, who began by fleshing out the background to this ruling. Yes, I mean, um, basically, the the issue came out of um, of, of the um, resumption of, of, of racing from last June on the flat last July national hunt when there were restrictions in place due to the pandemic, uh, which kept um, who, whoever was riding at one meeting at that one meeting. The jockeys seemed to like it immediately. We obviously saw some changes in the uh, fixture list with a maximum of five flat meetings per day. And within no time at all, everybody realised that this might be something that they would look at in the future. We then conducted a thorough survey, the PJA did, Professional Jockeys Association, in March of this year on welfare participation, which included questions on maintaining the one meeting per day rule and we had a huge response rate nearly 50 percent of our members responded and it was a full survey which probably took them 10 or 15 minutes to respond to and a uh, significant number of the flat riders 72 percent wanted the one meeting ruling to remain in place nick so that's 72 percent of the 50 percent of members who replied yep 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 so so to your knowledge it's it's only 35% of, of licensed jockeys. You don't know what, what the other 50% think. 
but they had they had every chance to respond. And, and bearing in mind that when we run the uh, survey for the for the for the Leicesters, we probably only get um, 35 percent response rate. Anybody that does a survey will know if you get nearly fifty percent responding, you've done remarkably well. In my thirty two years being involved with the Professional Jockeys Association in various capacities. This is the biggest response we have ever had, Nick, ever, for any survey of any description. And it, uh, it spoke volumes that we, we, we got to that number. Um, but it was a strong mandate. The board took it on board. Uh, the board discussed it at length. And um, they, we then asked the BHA whether they would consider um, extending the one meeting per day ruling. And um, they, 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 they took that on board and, and had a look at it. And uh, it will continue throughout the remainder of this year and all of next year as well. The National Punt Riders, they obviously took a look at it. Well, it doesn't affect them nearly as much as the flat crew, um, but there are uh, there are a few instances in the year when they can ride at two meetings, particularly when uh, maybe two afternoon meetings are in relatively close proximity, and they voted uh, for it as well. So overall, it was a strong mandate, and um, I have heard very few negatives in the last 24 hours uh, to counter that. Indeed, since uh, we put the survey out in March, there have been very few negatives, including from trainers and other industry professionals who seem to think that actually it's a pretty crazy idea to be rushing around the country taking on motorway traffic with 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 everything else that riders entail now extra pressure in the morning riding work and um one thing to remember they are currently in the middle of 125 days consecutive planned flat fixtures that is unprecedented in any sport and that also has a bearing on mental health on uh, their physical health and everything else and it is a it's a huge burden on them to go from the end of may to early october without a scheduled day off and the one meeting rule has had a significant significant impact on their family life their work-life balance. And one thing to finally end with, Nick, we also put some drop-down boxes in that survey. And one of the drop-down boxes was, what negatives have you seen from riding at one meeting? 80% responded, none. Isn't it the case, though, Dale, that it's restraint of trade to self-employed people? Uh, I, I tend not to agree because they can uh, they, they, they can have the choice of where they go. William Buick went to Brighton yesterday. Now, if this was a regular ride wherever you want, would he have gone to Brighton? No, he wouldn't have gone to Brighton, would he? He wouldn't have gone to Brighton. He's chasing the title. Tom Marquand and Holly Doyle last year had more rides, more rides with the one-meeting rule than they did in the previous year with the two-meeting rule. Um, and they have accepted that they are riding better because of it. They're making fewer mistakes. In the month of August, jockeys make errors. At York last week, not one rider was suspended in 28 races. Unprecedented, unheard of. They are better in themselves. But, they are better in the weighing room. But Dale, Dale, Dale that, that, that's, that's, that's very, that, you're on dodgy ground there because you are, you are, suggesting that that the, the one is a direct corollary of the other and there's absolutely no evidence to suggest that the the lack of whip bands at york had anything to do with the one meeting rule no i'm not saying whip bands i'm 
talking about bans in bans in general, Nick. Bans in general. Bans in general. No, no suspensions. No suspensions. But, uh, the, my, my point remains though. There, there is there is there is no evidence to suggest that there's any corollary between no bans at York and the one meeting rule. There's no data to support that. It's it's anecd- purely anecdotal. Well, it may be anecdotal, but it's something that has come through uh, our channels and the weighing room channels in the previous 12 months. So it may not be um, coming out in, in, in media channels, but I can assure you the riders are better. They're a happier place. Hayley Turner did an interview two or three months ago, if you remember, explaining that the weighing room was a happier place because there was less stress and strain on rushing off to another meeting. Jim Crowley did an interview yesterday. It took him seven hours to go from Sussex to Haydock the other day. And he says it's absolutely crackers that he was trying to drive down the hard shoulder to get there. And that was getting to one meeting. And anybody that drives regularly throughout this country, um, throughout throughout the year, as you do, as many people do, will know how difficult the motorways are up and down the country, particularly at peak times. Um, and how on earth someone hasn't been killed, Nick, by doing two meetings a day, only the good Lord knows. Jamie Spencer did an interview a while back. He once drove 12 miles down the hard shoulder at 90 miles an hour to get to his rides at the second meeting. It cannot continue. And I think all these things added up into a, into a, into a package Suddenly, the riders thought, "Well, do you know what? Yeah, this is this is now the time to do it." It was actually muted, probably ten or twelve years ago. Um, there was a there was a train of thought which suggested this might come into play, and it never actually got progressed. And hey, you 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 were riding then, Dale. What did you? Because I I know you yeah pretty well, and you were extremely hard working, and not only that, extremely enterprising as to where you went, how you went about getting your rides. Do you think you would have voted for this in your day? I think I would have given it serious thought. Um, it's hard to say right now. Twelve well, it's twelve years in October since I retired, and 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 um, and I think there are elements where you would look at and think, well, the fixture list has changed, Nick. The work rate of jockeys has changed in that the majority, not all, are probably riding out more than they ever were. Ted Durkin said to me just before he retired, he was riding out more in his last year than he was in his informative years, just because the pressure of um, servicing the trainers that he rode for. So therefore, the longer working day in the morning, starting at six o'clock, has, has had an impact. It has had an impact. Whether I would have voted for it, it's, it's, it's a good question, and I genuinely don't know then, right? I genuinely don't know then, but what I would say now, taking all the factors into place, Nick, all the factors into place, I think I would vote for it now if I was riding. Yeah, so it, 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 it's, it, do you feel it in some ways that it's a shame that you've had to have this mandated rather than there being a system of racing in place that ensures that the best jockeys can always be on the best horses at all times? I think the best jockeys are on the best horses at all times anyway, Nick. I don't actually buy into that. It's who you ride for. William Buick is chasing the title. He's got a superb agent in Tony Hind. He tried very hard last year. He was riding horses that were rated in the 50s last year, as he is this year. Prior to that, he wouldn't have known what a horse rated in the 50s looked like. Okay, so he's going where he thinks the best opportunities are. Frankie de Tory will always be at Ascot, Newmarket and York. End of. Right? And I genuinely think 
the way um, the way the program is set up, the way the agents work, the agents know early in the week exactly where their riders are going. All the feedback I've had from major trainers, major agents, major jockeys is that they have a smoother program through the week, knowing where they're going, knowing what they can do, knowing what their capacity is. That's the message, the clear message that we have had. But it, isn't there, surely there's a middle ground, isn't there? Isn't there a middle ground to come back from where you say, okay, if you're riding at Goodwood, for example, and there's an evening meeting at Sandown, you can take two rides at Sandown on your way home. I mean, that, that is, no, no one is going to kill themselves in traffic by, by doing that if the, ga- if the gaps are sensible. <laughs> because you can get held up from, uh, from, from those two meetings. Uh, all, all I would say, Nick, is that that is counterproductive because you might say, oh, well, I'm going back to X or I'm going back to Y. There is still that double header, isn't it? And that was the whole point of this. There, this was looked at, by the way. You know, there were, there were other opportunities to say, how about would you look at X or would you look at Y as a, as a, uh, as a, uh, as a balance, maybe as a, uh, looking at it as a, as a second review. But overall, the riders said, what's the point in having this caveat, that caveat? You know, it doesn't actually get to where they want it to be. I've had significant feedback from partners of jockeys who have said, my partner is so much better for riding at one meeting. But Dale, Dale, I, I struggle with that because my wife would say, I would be a lot better if I didn't have to do five Nick Luck Daily podcasts every week and then go and work for Racing TV in the afternoon and then do a Sunday program and then do X, Y, and Z. And she's absolutely right. But as self-employed individuals, and you know this better than anybody else, sometimes we put ourselves under situations of, of you know, rel- relatively intense pressure in order, to, in order to earn the living that we want to earn. Yeah, absolutely. But I can assure you, this has come from the jockeys. This hasn't come from Paul Struthers or myself or, or any other uh, associate to the Professional Jockeys Association. This is a vote by professional jockeys on what they wanted. This is what we have to remember. These are the guys and girls that are actually doing it. So this was a vote, right? And that is what we have to remember at the end of the day. It is a vote and they have voted accordingly. Dale, thanks so much for your time. I've, I've really enjoyed this conversation. It's incredibly thought-provoking and um, really appreciate all the work you're doing on behalf of the jockeys. Thanks very much, Nick. Dale Gibson there, the Executive Director of the Professional Jockeys Association. Lee Mott said the senior writer from the Racing Post was listening to all that. Lee, which side of the divide do you come down on? Well, Nick, it was a very spunky interview there and I, I, your, 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 your strong questioning did make me waver at times, but, but I think I, I am on balance on the PGA side of the argument, on the on Dale Gibson's side of the argument. Um, Dale, I think, it is one of the most passionate administrators in British racing, and he's consistently impressive. And I have no doubt that his his greatest wish is to protect the jockeys as a group. And, and I think this rule does do that. I mean, I can see the opposite point of view. I can see that restraint of trade argument. Um, I thought Seb Sanders was very passionate when he was speaking on Sky Sports Racing about this yesterday, offering a different point of view and how he disagreed with the nine meeting a rule week. Um, I think, though, on on balance, this will protect jockeys. Um, I think it will reduce the chances of of accidents happening on roads or elsewhere. I, I, I do think it is a slight side issue here, Nick. 
I do think it is a very strange thing that jockeys in any circumstances thought it was acceptable to ride down, drive down the hard shoulder to make a ride. It, it just indicates that a belief that that job is more important than any other job because we've all been we've all been late for jobs and we haven't decided to drive down the hard shoulder to get to the job. But that's an aside. Um, yeah. Do you, do you think that that's 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 that sort of anecdotal testimony I find slightly unconvincing because you simply don't know how many times that sort of thing was done. I cannot believe that was routine. Other otherwise there wouldn't be a jockey with a driving license left. Well, no, the, the interview that, that, that um, Dale referenced actually was one of mine. I, I saw Jamie Spencer earlier this year, um, and I've actually pulled up the quote here, Nick. He says, we've done so many stupid things down the years to get to a race meeting. Those things have endangered other people's lives, not to mention our own. I wanted 12 miles on the hard shoulder to make sure I didn't miss a ride. It's crazy. My motto used to be, if there was traffic, just get on the hard shoulder and drive. If you got pulled over, you made an excuse. It's a strange mindset because, you know, Nick, you will, like me, you will have been late getting to a race course. Uh, and I don't suppose you ever considered, let's well, dash down the hard shoulder of the M40. I, I won't lie. I, I might have nipped into the odd bus lane when I shouldn't have done. We've all nipped into the odd bus lane when we shouldn't have done. I did it at York last week. I, I did it at York last week. Yeah. We, exactly we, the same one. I'm just we've all done that. And I've currently got, I've currently got a, yeah, I've currently got a fine to pay as well. And I actually just paid a fine for going into a, one of those yellow crisscross boxes that you're not supposed to go into. But again, that's an aside. I think this is a, clearly it's going to be a, a heated one for jockeys. This. I am influenced by the fact that Dale makes a point that the, the response from jockeys to this particular questionnaire was much greater than anything he's ever known. And I, I know from dealing in the past with, with the PGA and on, on various matters that, that they struggled to get jockeys to really engage with questionnaires or indeed with any literature that they send them because they're so busy. Um, so the fact that there was a, a decent response to this, I think is, is significant. Um, I, I do understand why it feels uncomfortable that we're telling self-employed people what they can or cannot do, but for the, for the greater good, um, I believe this is probably a good thing. And if, if I can just say as, as well, Nick, this, this isn't the only example of, uh, pandemic necessities actually delivering what you can say as a, as a positive outcome. I think certainly a positive outcome is the continued ban on jockeys using soreness. Um, I, I, I wrote in the Racing Post a few years ago how I could not conceive how it could be deemed a sensible thing for professional sports people going out to ride horses at 35, 40 miles an hour could be dehydrating themselves minutes before doing that job. That always seemed crazy to me and i find it astonishing that it took a pandemic um for people to see sense on that one but i'm pleased that that one again has now looks like it's been stamped out for good the pga advised the bha earlier this year that its board did not want saunas to come back in they should not come back in i think that is an open and shut case this one i can see is more nuanced and will have people having maybe more passionate views on either side but overall, although it was a, a say a really good spunky debate, that I'd just be on Dale's side. This morning's Racing Post, the Trade Daily in the UK, is led by an investigation by Peter Scargill, um, who's revealed that dozens of websites are advertising black market bookmakers to customers who've signed up for the industry's self-exclusion scheme, GamStop. Pete Scargill's with me now. Um, Peter, what led you down this investigation? 
Hi, Nick. It's basically uh, we're keen to look at unintended consequences of the affordability checks that are being mooted in the UK at the moment. Um, the, the steps potentially being put in place to protect people who have problems with gambling by limiting the amount they can spend. But um, obviously there's always unintended consequences of actions and um, looking down this avenue led to quite a dark place in terms of what was being offered to people already. Uh, it's quite disturbing, particularly at a time when the the industry is under, under so much social scrutiny. Uh, what needs to be the response now? Well, you're right, Nick, it is troubling. And, and the worrying thing is it's shameless and it's incredibly easy to get hold of. I mean, these, these websites you can find on Google. You don't have to be a brain surgeon and they offer... <laughs> for once for a better term, tips and advice about how to get around your bands, um, which surely can't be the way we want things to go. So, you know, there, there is space for um, better player protection to be put in place. You know, it's important that we protect anyone that does have issues with their gambling. But at the same time, you know, we need to take into consideration what the gambling industry is telling us, uh, what the feedback's been to the Gambling Commission from people like the Horse Racing Betters Forum, from punters, to make sure that, that what we put in place is uh, is of, of sufficient quality to protect people, but at the same time doesn't just throw out the baby with the bathwater, and you end up pushing people down these, these dark places where no one particularly cares what happens to them, and they just take their money from them, and they end up in a worse place than they would have been otherwise. Now, Pete, I realise I've got you by stealth, but... I've just realised that you actually have a runner on Saturday in the listed hopeful stakes at Newmarket at 2.45 under the GB horse racing banner. A day to remember um, could give all of you a day to remember. Yes, and there'll be plenty of us there, Nick, as well. Uh, lots of lots of guys have had to be very patient um, with COVID and what have you last year, but uh, having a blast with her at the moment. Um, very well handled by by Patrick and Amy Owens in Newmarket. So, yeah, we're, we're, uh, we're going to black type hunting with her. And um, I've seen her out this morning on, on Warren Hill, and she looks fantastic. So, we'll give it our best shot. She's, uh, she's a filly that likes racing and likes giving her all. So, whether that means she comes first, second, third, or, or somewhere else, I don't know. But she'll certainly be trying as hard as she can. Um, listen, I, I don't mind how many plugs you get out of this, out of this show this morning. Um, just, just explain a little bit about the concept behind GB Horse Racing. Oh well, I mean, essentially, um, we're not we're not doing anything particularly outstanding. We just we try to go to the sales and sort of horses who we feel are undervalued as, as yearlings. Now she costs six grand as a yearling. Um, then we try and put them in the right trainers, and then you know we try and sell them on at the at the best point, having hopefully improved their form on the course. We we did it with a with a filly last year called Lullaby Moon, um, who we bought for sixteen and, and sold for a six figure sum afterwards and she's gone on to, to run in black type race, races and do well for, for ammo racing so it's a system that works but you know we have good people supporting us uh, and doing it that way um, but it's exciting I mean to be able to buy a horse for, for six grand to win two races finish second in two races and be able to go for a listed race is is the sort of thing that, that sells racing to anyone and that's why for all of the you know, talk of, of black market betting websites or whatever you've got and, and some of the things that are that are not so great around, being able to sell wonderful aspects of the sport like being involved in syndicates and horses like this is, is fabulous. So it's going to be a good day, win, lose or draw, but hopefully win. Peter Scargill there and Pete's colleague Lee Mottishead still with me. Lee, let's talk about the idea of replicating the Dublin Racing Festival in the UK, uh, building a little momentum. What do you think of that? 
I, I think it's a it's an obvious idea in the sense that given what happened at uh, Cheltenham last season with the 23-5 drubbing of Britain um, by Ireland, there is a lot of soul searching and people clearly want to try and make changes. I would say in, in a wider sense, Nick, there, there are two things that we need to look at. One is why did Britain perform so badly relative to Ireland last season? The second thing is, and this follows on from a special report um, myself and my colleague Stuart Riley did for the Racing Post earlier in the year, is that period from the start of the year through to the Cheltenham Festival, that January-February period, is it working in Britain at the moment? Are there sufficient interesting days racing? Are the best horses running enough? In that in that piece I referenced earlier on, Nick, I, I quoted Ed Chamberlain, who spoke about how in January and February, it can be a struggle for ITV to engage audiences because they're not seeing sufficiently competitive racing day in, as uh, a week in, week out. And I think in terms of both those boxes, Nick, in terms of how do we make British racing uh, more competitive compared to Ireland and how do we present a more engaging, interesting product through January and February? That Dublin Racing Festival idea would appear to be uh, an easy win. However, I don't think it's as simple as that. I think the what the likely outcome, for example, of a, of a British equivalent of a Dublin Racing Festival around that time of year would presumably be bringing together the the bet for hurdle card at, at Newbury that also has the game spirit and the Denman chase and the the Ascot chase card um, that takes place around the same time. So you might have one on a Saturday, one on a Sunday. In effect, you're still staging the same races, just condensed into two days. And would that make a huge, a huge difference? Well, maybe if if there was a massive injection of prize money. Um, potentially that would, and both Ascot and Newbury have reported this week they do plan to increase their jumps prize money. But I think it's it's a tad simplistic. Um, and I think as well, if you look at the Dublin Racing Festival and if you actually question how successful it has been, it was it was created to try and drum up interest in Irish jump racing around that period. Well, from what I've read, Nick, the TV audiences haven't been significantly greater. The attendances at Leopardstown haven't been huge by any by any means. They've, they've been decent, but it hasn't transformed either of those either of those problems. Ireland, yes, have had a great success at the Cheltenham Festival, but those horses were winning races they would have won had they been staged at their normal time. And also, those races have been won by a very small number of trainers. That they've been representative of the domination of a small number of yards so although we enjoy the Dublin Racing Festival I've been out there and I love it I think it's great to have those two days I don't think in itself it has transformed Irish jump racing and I think it's a it's a simplistic lazy argument to think that a Dublin Racing Festival over those two days in late January early February would make a huge difference I think we have to have a deeper examination of the of the sport and of that period in January and February, I think there definitely are things that can be done um, in terms of making the the program and the pattern more interesting over that period to make more competitive racing. Because I think the the nub of it for me, Nick, and I'll, I'll always come back to the to this argument is that we are putting on entertainment, and our primary customer group are not participants; they are the people that we are trying to entertain. The viewing audience of horse racing they are they should be our first consideration when when thinking of major changes um and i think we can do things that make the sport more interesting over that period and that is that is linked to the 23-5 result because it's important that people watching the sport 
through January and February and indeed through November and December in Britain, people watching those races believe that what they are watching is relevant. Yeah. If they think that the races that they're watching mean nothing because come March, the British horses are all going to be be smashed to pieces by the Irish horses, they will think, well, what's the point of watching those races? So we do need to make British racing more competitive. We do need to make the, the racing through January and February more engaging and more interesting and more relevant. I'm just not convinced that a carbon copy of the Dublin Racing Festival over that period is the best answer. All right, it's Thursday, so it's a Racing League time, penultimate leg of the William Hill Racing League. Uh, it takes place at Lingfield, and then the finale, of course, next week. Uh, Eve Johnson-Horton, very well represented with three runners. There's some um, some big money on the table for your horses tonight, Eve. Yes, there is. Um, you know, it's great to win uh, 25, 20, you know, to be going for 25 grand races to the winner. It's, it's a really good... Um carrot for us and sword beach who has a pretty strong fancy in the 740 has already won one of these um just give everybody a flavor of what sort of races he might be running around in or what sort of money he might be running around for were it not for this um it, we'd be lucky to be going for sort of six grand to the winner to be honest off his mark um so it's 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 a big big thing to go for so it's it's a good thing for him um has he got a chance of following up do you think well the horse that was second, we are obviously worse off with. Uh, I think we're five pounds worth worse off with, and that finished second. But um, you know, it, it should play to his strengths because he likes to front run um, or be up there anyway. So a uh, mile and a half uh, on the all weather should play to his strengths at Lingfield there. And the other two runners, the Princess Poet and My Style, they are bigger prices, but are either of them worth uh, considering? Um, the Princess Poet, he. Obviously, he's um, running off a £6 penalty. He was only due to go up £4. So, effectively, he should be he's £2 wrong at the weight. But uh, we've got George Adobe taking three off. Um, he will go very well as long as he handles Lingfield. Um, and Sword... No, not Sword Beach, sorry. My style. He In the six furlongs, he is just running himself into form. And um, they might run away from him a bit down the hill. But once they start coming back up, I think he'll get involved. So not impossible, and you've been part of Team Remulet during this uh, uh, experimental series. Uh, would you welcome a return next year? I think it needs a lot of tweaking, but yes, basically. Uh, any obvious tweaks? Anything? That, any quick wins that you can think of? Well, I think they need to allow more horses into the teams to start with, because by the time you've got injuries uh, or horses going up too high in the handicap, you're really uh, limiting your pool that you can actually run. Uh, just a, a word on a couple of the high-profile horses in the yard. Jumby was a, a welcome winner earlier this week. Now, do you think he can build on that? Oh, absolutely. Um, really pleased with him. He did it very well. You know, he was £12 wrong at the weights uh, with the second horse. And um, I know all the headlines have been about the second horse losing the race. I don't think he lost the race. I think Jumby won it. And I think there's a vast difference. OK, so where next? Um, he is in the Air Gold Cup. Uh, he won't go there unless it's very good ground, um, good or quicker. And uh, I don't know is the answer. We, I think we'll have to go up into pattern class now with him. And what news on Chipotle after the Nunthorpe? Oh, he's in great form. He's having a week off. He's had a little spa time and being turned out, and he's in really good form, bouncing. Um, and he'll probably run in either the Mill Reef or um, the, there's a sales race for him at Newmarket. Again, ground-dependent.
And do you think you, you're just going to, you're having to squeeze the lemon now, or is he a horse who could actually go on next year? I think he very much can go on next year, but he's um, he's part of a two-year-old syndicate, and he will be sold in horse and training sales. So he's there to um, give all his owners a lot of fun this year, so that's what we're doing. All right, thanks to all my guests today. Lee is still here, and he has a winner for you. Well, I'm going to try, Nick, and I'm going to be very um, simple and obvious, really. I'm going to say it's Foss Lass today, and David Probert is riding at Foss Lass for Andrew Balding. Um, easy. So I'm going to suggest that your your lovely listeners go with Caddo Door, David Probert for Andrew Balding in the 340 at Foss But uh, David Probert mocked up winners uh, there recently, and I think Caddo Door could be a winner for him again today. Lee, thank you so much. Thank you for listening. That was Thursday, August the 26th. We'll see you again tomorrow. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Thank you.